Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And it's been a couple weeks since we've recorded, guys. How are you doing? Well, I'm I'm uh, doing better because the Orioles are doing better. So they're that's playing true. a little bit exciting right now. So that's encouraging. So yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling good, and hopefully we uh, finish the season, you know, kind of strong and don't collapse there. So okay, yeah. do, do the Orioles typically dictate your mood day to day, Jesse? They have a, a large influence on it, but oh uh, they don't fully dictate it. Yeah. Okay. And Eli, yeah. how are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I was on some work travel and hence the difficulties with recording. And then I was on some travel travel and uh-huh. I went and saw Jesse and uh, yeah, also feeling good about the O's. We, uh, as we're about to say, we're seven and seven since the streak. Mm-hmm. um you know we are we've done some things we've beaten some teams we are not the last place team in the major leagues anymore it's huge That's all that huge. feels good does that feel good because i've seen some people are like not happy to be not the worst team in baseball because we want that number one pick <laughs> yeah i mean they want they want elijah green i guess yeah <laughs> i don't know I, I i mean i can see that of course but like it it's good to me, like, I, you know, I think we're going to get somebody who's very, very good with the number two pick. I don't think there is a consensus number one pick right now. Like, in some mock drafts, Elijah Green is going number two. So, yeah, I, I mean, like, right now you can't project out who number one is going to be, and I'm enjoying having a little fun with baseball right now. Uh, we don't get to do that very often in Baltimore. And, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. I, the thing about it is – people have to remember that the number one pick comes at a heavy cost of being the worst major league baseball team for an entire season. And that is not fun. So I think people have to remember that. And also, even if the Orioles had the number one pick, would we really pick the number one pick? (laughs) We would probably pick the number seven pick and save a little money here. And, you know, so. Well, but then at least we'd have an extra million dollars for the high schooler. We're going to take in the fourth round. Right. But that would be, that would be, a lot more disappointing probably to Oriole fans is that, you know, that they don't get the, they don't get the pick they want. And then uh, more so than we just don't get the number one pick at all. But people have twisted themselves in knots a little bit. there, saying, well, the number one pick also comes with the biggest like signing bonus pool amount, typically not always, but with the Orioles case, it would because they, they get all the competitive balance picks and stuff. They qualify for all that usually. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy watching my baseball team play good baseball. And like the last couple of weeks, they've been a 500 team. That's much more fun to watch than what we had been watching, especially in August, which was like an utter disaster. And yeah, I mean, to your point, Eli, about like there's not really a consensus number one pick like Elijah Green is what, 17 years old, 16 years old right now, yeah. like a year from now. 
he that's like more than 10% of his entire life is a year from now. Like he could be a totally <laughs> different person in, in a year. So I'd rather just have fun. We're going to get one of the top two picks anyway. So play some good baseball and they've won 44 games now. So they can't be as bad as the 2003 Tigers who were like the worst team of the century. So it's a big win. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it. We were in jeopardy of, of hitting that for a while. So it's good. We're not. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, they entered the month probably needing like five or six wins to do that or something like that. And they've, or maybe, maybe not that many, but they needed a few. And after August, that seemed like a stretch. So <laughs> I feel good about that. Five wins in a month. seemed like a stretch. <laughs> it, it did. It did. It absolutely did. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing like major, no, no real independent events have happened these last couple weeks. So we're just kind of going to go through the gambit of all the stuff that has happened in Birdland over the last couple weeks, hit on a few of the hot button issues and kind of just roll with it. Um, So Eli has lovingly put together an outline for us, which we appreciate Eli. Thank you for that. Jesse, did you you make so welcome? Did you make any contributions to this, Jesse? Uh, I think I, (laughs) you know, I changed the outline date at the top from eight to nine, nine. Oh my God. That's huge. Oh my god. We were planning to record last night and then we didn't. So I yeah. made the proper adjustment. Thank you. Always Tyler had Tyler had some daddy duties. I did. I had gotten the kid to sleep right before we got on. It was perfect. And then as we started, like almost right before we started to record, he woke up and uh was very interested in being involved, and that was problematic. Yeah. Just a note for the listeners, you've never seen a baby so fascinated with a mic, with a camera, with any of the setup. He just was looking at himself on the Zoom call, just smiling away, talking to himself. Yeah, he lo- he loves looing at himself. That's most even if it doesn't have to be like uh, FaceTime or a video. He can like look at old pictures of himself and he just loves it. So he's a little bit vain, but we'll work on that. He's, <laughs> he's only 13 months old. We have time. Right. Um, all right. Well, let's talk. Let's jump into some pitching stuff, because that's kind of been like the the realm of most changed these past couple weeks and a lot of things have happened so first up and Eli maybe you want to touch on how excited you are about this but Connor Green's back in the fold and looks like pretty good I mean are we are we expecting anything else from Connor Green is he like a part of the future Orioles bullpen or is this just kind of another like you know patchwork move let's just get us through the season and then we'll figure things out after that I think it's kind of the same thing we've been saying all year like Connor Green is an upside play and thus far in this you know in this turn through the bullpen with us he seems like he's had a little bit better control uh and it's been pretty effective so if he keeps this up you know he's still a pre-arb guy there's absolutely no reason why he's not in the Orioles bullpen next year yeah and I think he's got an option left and you know the Dodgers liked him enough to keep him on their 40 man for a little bit so there, there's something there Jesse any thoughts about Connor Green <laughs> yeah no um I mean, I like him a lot. Uh, I think that most likely he's going to be, like Eli said, on the team next year. I don't see really what would uh, stop that from happening um, unless some sort of catastrophe um, for him. But uh, no, I mean, I think uh, he looks good as far as being on the next good Orioles team. I mean, I think that's a leap. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, he's a middle reliever uh, type guy. You know, he's definitely... Uh, if he pitches really well, you know, he, he, of course, could be a potential trade chip um, just because um, we're probably not 
going to hold him for three years, especially if he's really good until we're competitive. So two or three years or whenever that is, whenever that date is. So, yeah. um, you know, you always say that the bullpen guys are the most volatile. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we uh, have some immediate success with him, um, he could be flipped. So, yeah, I mean, kind of speaking on the volatility a little bit, Paul Fry is like a great example of that. This was a guy that last season was really good. Most of this season had been pretty good. It was like a legitimate trade chip a month and a half ago. Pretty good through 2019 too. Yeah, true. I mean, this was like years running. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, I mean, and I think we talked very early this season when he had some struggles in April, like what was going on there. He definitely figured it out, was really good, but now he's gone down to triple a he's kind of struggled in triple a still. I think Jim Palmer said on a broadcast that, he kind of thinks Fry might be one of the sticky stuff guys. Like he's lost a lot of effectiveness since that went into play. Um, I don't really know what to make. I don't know enough there to make any sort of determination. I would trust Jim Palmer's thoughts on that sort of stuff, but I don't know, Jesse, do you see like, is Paul Fry permanently broken? Is there anything to, you know, fix there? Or, you know, do you have any thoughts on, on Paul Fry's future with the Orioles or even in major league baseball? I mean, I, I think the thing for me is this is a veteran pitcher. I think he probably has he's been through these sorts of struggles before, like we talked about at the beginning of the season. He was absolutely horrendous. And I'm sure we had a discussion somewhat similar to this at the time. And he figured it out. Um, So I think he's I think he's a veteran. I think he's just one of these guys. He doesn't throw very hard. So I think every once in a while he's going to hit one of these rough stretches where he gets hit around a bit. and doesn't have as sharp a command as he really needs to have in order to be effective. Um, so no, I, I'm not terribly worried. It's very, it's annoying that he had to get optioned. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. And, um, you know, we have a whole off season coming up. We have all of spring training and I think there's plenty of time for him, uh, and, the people around him to try to get him straightened out. So I'm not overly worried about it, but I, it does say something, I think a little bit having going through the, having gone through these stretches, I I do think these kinds of things might be warning signs to um, potential buyers of him because when he's bad, he just implodes and it seemingly can happen at any moment. So is that, um, you know, uh, is that a guy that a team is going to trade a lot of their top prospects for? I don't know. Somebody that um, could hit a bad stretch any, at any moment and not only be, you know, what you need them to be, but be a serious liability in the bullpen. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point about, I wonder if he's really even sellable over the, over the winter. I mean, I'm sure somebody would take him for a bag of balls, but it, is it really worth the Orioles to, to do that? I don't know, Eli, if you have any thoughts on, on maybe his trade value or even just sort of the struggles you're seeing out of Paul Fry. Yeah, I actually, um, as I was putting this outline together and I like typed up some of his stats, you know, he's like given up 17 earned runs in seven innings. He's struck out four people and walked 16 in August. So, you know, it was like really genuinely atrocious. Uh, and I kind of went and I did that same deep dive and, you know, July, like a lot of his spin rate numbers were just the same. He was really locked in. He was doing a great job. I think this is like purely a matter of somebody getting the yips. Like 
he genuinely is having a harder time throwing strikes. As Jesse said, like he's in the 41st percentile in fastball velocity. You know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to blow somebody away and he's not the kind of guy who can make mistakes. Um, And traditionally, you know, he has been able to work around that. He's been able to work with the stuff he has. Um, You know, his slider actually has like a pretty solid spin rate on it and has been a super effective pitch, but that being said, you know, people are just going to sit on the fastball and tee off on that because he has no idea where it's going. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, we saw, I don't know if anyone was watching that race game, but Tanner Scott came in and threw like 16 straight sliders, uh-huh. you know, because when you get wild, you know, you just have to kind of rely on your best pitch. When you rely on your best pitch, they ignore your best pitch. And <laughs> it's as simple as that. So, yeah, I mean, this is, definitely concerning but like jesse said we've seen him go through struggles before i think the largest concern just like jesse said is with trade value i mean this totally you know it there were struggles at the beginning of the year that he was able to work through and stay on the big league team for the next five months this like you know he's somebody that's supposed to be a top line guy and he's now in triple a finishing out the season uh so, yeah, I, I can't see anybody giving up anything for him. And luckily for us, he still has three years of control. So might as well, you know, just hang on to him this offseason. Hope he picks it back up next year, becomes the guy he is. And then you sell him with two and a half years. You sell him with two years of control. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a good argument for, like, maybe sell those relief guys, like, when they are hot. Like, there's right. no – Jesse's got his eyes real big. Right now. I mean, there's definitely like a a class of reliever that maybe you don't want to do that with, but I think the vast majority, like if they're hot and there's people interested in it, the return is even somewhat interesting. I, that, that trigger finger has got to get a little itchy, I think. (laughs) Um, Sticking in the bullpen, let's talk Jorge Lopez. Obviously he's been a starter for most of the year. He's moved out to the bullpen recently, has looked pretty good in a couple of outings there. Uh, but does have a sprained ankle. It's apparently a pretty serious sprain, and it's looking like um, he's going to be out for the rest of the year. Um, something interesting about Lopez, though, is that he is arbitration eligible for the first time this offseason. Now, arbitration arbitration could get all weird this year with the collective bargaining agreement being renegotiated, all that stuff. But if things stay similar to where they are right now, because that's all we really know is the current system, you know, Lopez is a case where should the Orioles tender him a contract, not only is there the injury concerns, but there's the what role does he really have on this team? Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? And regardless of that, how much value is he to the team? So, Eli, maybe I'll go to you first. You know, what what do you think the outcome will be for Lopez this offseason? Is he going to be tendered a contract? And maybe what sort of role do you see him playing for the Orioles in 2022? This is a super tough situation, and it's kind of why I threw it on here. I I think the one thing that Jorge Lopez, and this is really ironic, but I think the thing that he has going for him is that he was really bad this year. And, you know, the raise that he's going to get in arbitration is not one that's going to be significant in any way, shape, or form. Like, you know, obviously assuming the current system stays in place, like, there's, you know, there's a chance he makes a million dollars, Yeah, like maybe 1.1, but for a legitimate bullpen arm, which he could become, that's a pretty solid price. And I think, you know, the Orioles obviously like his stuff. There's a reason he's been on the team all year. There's a reason, you know, he hasn't been given the runaround 
sent through, you know, DFA waivers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, just like had a Chris Ellis come and replace him. There's a reason he hasn't been that guy. He's been the guy that the Orioles have tried to make it work. So I think the fact that he hasn't been very good and thus his raise will not be very high probably bodes well for him. And I think the Orioles give him an extended look next year in the pen. Yeah, I tend to be on that same wavelength. I mean, look at some of the contracts the Orioles handed out last year. They did, they uh, tendered Pat Valleca. That obviously was a disaster, but it made sense at the time. I think they tendered Yalmer Sanchez and then ended up cutting him in, in spring training. So like, yeah, and I would agree a million dollars sounds about right. Um, Jesse, are you having similar thoughts? No, I think so. I mean, I think that the question that we're asking right now, like should the Orioles tender him a contract? That's why it would have been nice to have seen him for a longer period of time in the bullpen, right? Maybe, okay, you know, we gave him a chance as a starter. We didn't exactly know how he would perform. Maybe we thought he could have taken a step forward in the rotation. He obviously, you know, at this current moment is not a, a starting pitcher. Um, so it would have been nice to have given him, you know, a few months in the bullpen to figure out what we were doing with him in the off season, because yeah, you know, there is a chance that he just comes back next year is not effective in the bullpen at all. I mean, he's, he's not the most consistent pitcher, right? <laughs> so, uh, there is a possibility of him just kind of imploding sort of a, at any moment. Um, so it would have been nice to have seen him in the bullpen to see him get some sort of stability. And he was off to a great, you know, we've talked about it. He was off to a great start in the bullpen. Um, he looked very, very effective. Um, Except and for then, his last outing. <laughs> yeah. At the Yes. And the outing, he got injured. Um, no, the one before. Oh, the one before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he had the, right. Um, so, but he, he looked overall, he looked good in the bullpen. So it would have been nice to have seen a couple months of him pitching in the bullpen rather than three or four or five uh, relief appearances that he got. So, yeah. And I think a million dollars is worth seeing a guy like Jorge Lopez pitch in the bullpen for a full season. I mean, you know, it, talent is expensive, especially a 29 year old with major league experience. So, yeah, I mean, given the contract, you can even see him in spring. And I think we talked about, this with Yalmer Sanchez, if they cut him before the end of spring, then you don't owe him the money anyway. So yeah, give him the tender in the contract, see what he can do in Sarasota and, you know, go from there. But I don't think a million dollars, which I know we're, we're kind of speculating, but I do think that sounds like a fair price. A million dollars is not that much to pay for a, a, what could be a reliable bullpen arm. And, and Michael Elias went and got Jorge Lopez. So I think that he definitely likes him too. So I think the odds are, is, you know, he'll be here next year. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, all right. The, the big news of the week, I, I said there wasn't really any huge individual stories, but I think this probably qualifies as that, is that Mike Bauman, the Orioles, one of the Orioles' top pitching prospects, typically looked at as the number three prospect pitching-wise behind Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, although Kyle Bradish has kind of unseated him there. But still, you can consider Mike Bauman one of the best pitching prospects in the Orioles' um, system. He made his major league debut this year. He came in as a reliever. Uh, through three and two thirds innings, allowed one unearned run, struck out one, two hits, one walk, and got the win in his major league debut. It sounds like Brandon Hyde is going to stick with him as a long relief pitcher for the time being. Not sure I love that, but I get that they're kind of trying to protect him from 
from injury. Um, I know Bowman's kind of been my guy for a little while. He's one of like the non top 100 guys prior to the season that I was really excited to see. Eli, I think you've been excited about him too. So maybe I'll go to you, the, the re the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for our uh, resident pitching expert to maybe give you a breakdown of what you saw from Bauman in his debut. Yeah. I, uh, the first thing I want to throw out is that I feel like there was a really good line to introduce this topic. Something about like the big news of the week was big Mike making his big league debut. It was just with the big hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the big hair, big smile. (laughs) I don't know. I thought like something was there uh yeah we didn't we didn't we didn't talk about that i guess that we, we did we didn't I know. <laughs> we should have prepared <laughs> uh but yeah no i thought bauman looked really good uh you, you know the one thing that is kind of interesting is people talk about the big stuff and talk about him as a strikeout guy you know this is a royals team that like they have a couple folks who strike out a ton a couple who don't strike out that often um but you know, only seeing him rack up 1K was just kind of interesting to me because it's not the type of pitcher you usually look at him as. Um, but that being said, like, regardless of all that, you know, he was sitting mid-90s. He's got that slider cutter thing. Ben McDonald and Kevin Brown had no idea what to call it. Um, you know, that comes in at, like, 90-91. It's a super hard slider, but it, it like, behaves more like a cutter. Um, and he's, like, got a curveball and changeup doesn't really use them. They're not that effective. He's really, you know, they talk about him as a two pitch pitcher, um, but he did flip in a couple curveballs, if I remember right. All that aside, I really liked what I saw. I, I mean, like he came in, you know, he was confident. His velocity sat steady through, you know, three and two thirds. Um, like Tyler said, only the two hits, only one walk. It, he was really effective. And I, I thought that you know, he was letting his fastball eat at the top of the zone, which, you know, as somebody who's as like tall as he is and throws as hard as he does with as effective as a fastball as he has, that's where, that's what you need to do. You need to live at the top of the zone. He got it, you know, he got in on the hands of a couple people. And I think this is exactly what you wanted to see out of him. And I'm excited. I, I do think that the pen is probably the right move for him now, as much as, you know, my inner pitching fan wants to see him in the rotation, let him go try to get through seven innings against a major league lineup. Like it's realistic. The dude has been hurt a ton. uh, And this is extending the season for him longer than he would, you know, than he would have had in AAA longer than he would have had anywhere. So uh, I, I get keeping him in the pen, give him a couple of three, four inning outings, you know, let him be a long man maybe even like give him an inning as a high leverage guy. Tyler Wells was a starting pitcher in the minors and we've given him a high leverage role. So let him play around, let him see how his stuff works in the big leagues. Let him try to figure out how to get big league hitters out without the pressure of having to get through a lineup three times. I I like him right here. Okay. Jesse, I mean, you can kind of talk on whatever you'd like to with Bauman, but I think that's an interesting kind of dynamic is the, the role he's in currently, what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's fine. I it, I think it's it's definitely not ideal just because of the unpredictability of when you need a long man available. I guess it is a little better than a normal bullpen pitcher uh, because if, you know, at least he's going to have certain days on his calendar where he knows he's not going to be pitching. If you throw three innings on a given day, you know you're not going to pitch the next day. So um there there is some benefit to that but um yeah i i don't know as far as 
from a stability perspective, from a getting him comfortable perspective, um, I'm not sure it's it's great conditions for him to be pitching in all the time. But I, it is sort of there is a comfortable uh, point to it uh, where he could just kind of come in sort of relax. There's not the pressure of being the starting pitcher on him. If he comes in and it's five, nothing, he's not coming in, you know, feeling like he's got to get every, every single out. If he gives up a couple of runs, not the end of the world, et cetera. So I think there are pros and cons to it. Um, but I, I don't think it's a bad decision to have him be the long man by any, by any stretch. Um, and then like Eli said, yeah, have him go pitch in the eighth inning one day or a couple days, right? With coming in with a three-run lead or something, and and see how it goes, right? You could kind of uh, there's some flexibility where you could kind of experiment and see how see how he works. Um, yeah, it the one thing that's kind of interesting about it is he wasn't one of the September call-ups. Um, that was what was kind of interesting to me, and you know, without the injury to Lopez you know, would we have been seeing him or would another move later have been required in order for him to get caught up at all? I kind of wonder from the Orioles perspective, you know, how much was this need and how much were they like really determined to get him up to see what he can do at the major league level. And that's kind of, um, kind of what I'm a little bit curious about just because he seemed like the guy that the Orioles, it, it made perfect sense for him to come up to the bigs, you know, have his little trial session for a month, see how it goes. And then uh, we could kind of reevaluate where he belongs um, moving into next year. But uh, it kind of seemed like, I, I don't know how much the Orioles actually made this move just out of need um, and how, or, you know, is it really because they really wanted to give him a chance and see what he could do? So I'm not sure. I mean, it could be a little bit of both. Um, so his last start for Norfolk was actually on August 31st. So he wouldn't have been a prime candidate to come up and start like September 2nd or something like that. So I'm sure they wanted him to be on full rest. Plus, you know, there's travel involved there. There's, I'm sure there's a ton of like paperwork and things you have to sign. I would imagine when you become a major league baseball player, I don't know if there's union stuff involved, like, you know, there's the bureaucratic part of it and the HR part of it that we're probably not privy to that is a little more involved. Um, But he was the last, I think he was the last pitcher on the 40 man roster that hadn't been called up at some point this year. And I do think that, you know, as one of the Orioles better prospects, I don't think he's a guy you just call up because you say, Oh, well, we need an arm. So like, let's just bring him up for two weeks. Like you would do that with, Spencer Watkins or, or Dustin Knight or one of those guys. It's like, look, we obviously care about you as a person, but like in terms of putting you in the best position to succeed, that's not our top concern. I think with Bauman, you probably would be a little more concerned. So I think it was probably in the plan, like let's get him up here. It seems like they're going to keep him in the long relief role for a bit, maybe get him a start at the end. That's kind of like an old school approach. Like I think Jim Palmer did that back in the day was like a reliever for a lot of his rookie year and then was a starter the next year. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably a planned thing. I sure would hope it is with a prospect who is universally regarded as a pretty good pitching prospect. I would hope there was a plan there versus just like an emergency break was pulled, you know? Yeah. The, the other thing I'll say about that is there was, a, so, you know, Bauman was one of two guys to come up and mm-hmm. Manny Bereda also came up while Jorge Lopez hit the IL and Zach Birdie was optioned to Norfolk. So 
you know, if, if one was the planned with Birdie going to Norfolk and one was called up because Jorge Lopez hit the IL, I think it's probably Manny Barreto was called up because Lopez hit the IL. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, I like I saw Zach Birdie's name and I remember us claiming him off waivers and I had a brain blast in the mid 2010s. He was like the greatest college closer ever. He was touching triple digits at Louisville and his brother was also a pitcher, Nick Birdie, mm. I think, or something like that. Yeah, but Nick that, Birdie. Yeah, that just blew my mind. And uh, he was like taken in the first round as a relief prospect, which almost never happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you take starting prospects, and then if they can't cut it, you move them to a relief role. He was a relief pitcher. That was what he did. He was touching triple digits, and I think it was the White Sox, whoever took him in the first round. Yeah. Um, so kind of cool to have him here. I don't know was if he's going to be. Wasn't Gosman drafted as a closer too? Wasn't he closing for LSU or something? No, I don't, he was a starter. I, I know Matt Weeders was Georgia Tech's closer back yeah. in the day, and he, he was, was a starting. He would catch eight innings and then yeah. go <laughs> jump on the mound and chuck ninety six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Don't bring up Kevin Gosman. Okay, he was my favorite, and he sucked. Mm-hmm. He didn't suck. He just like was never great and now he's with the giants and he's pretty good. Although he, he was mediocre for us the yeah. entire time, but he's yeah. another one they brought up as like a reliever for a while and was like a mm-hmm. good reliever in that, uh, that 2014 team, but um, never quite figured it out as a starter was, was decent. I would say until he left the Orioles. Well, but then the Braves had issues with him. That's the true. Reds had yeah. issues with him. So like it wasn't right away, Yeah, but there was the talent was in him the whole oh, time. Yeah. He's got yeah, huge right. talent. And we all knew that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of somebody else who once had huge talent, Matt Harvey. um, (laughs) What a segue. (laughs) Sorry, Matt. Um, He pitched last night. We're recording this on um, Wednesday the 9th. He pitched, I'm sorry, Thursday the 9th. He pitched on Wednesday the 8th. Um, Struggled a little bit. Um, Well, no, he pitched. Didn't he pitch pretty well? Did he pitch last night? Pretty good. He pitched pretty well. Um, Yeah. But he has now gotten hurt and he is on the 10 day IL with right knee inflammation. Brandon Hyde said that apparently it has been kind of a start to start thing with Harvey that he's been suffering with some knee problems. And they ultimately made the decision um, earlier today to put him on the IL. So this kind of got, I think I saw a couple people on Twitter talking about it. And then I figured let's talk about it on here. Do you think that that is potentially Matt Harvey's final start? In Norrell's uniform. I mean, I think it's it's reasonable enough to say it's his last start in Norrell's uniform this year, but could it be his last start in Norrell's uniform ever, Jesse? So, well, let me just say real quick. Uh, Please do. Yeah, let me just say that he did not pitch well last night. He okay. went four and a third, gave up four runs, three earned, and he gave look. up nine hits. Uh, so okay, he did okay, not so, pitch very well. Uh, so it, it was it, it was only no 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 it was only two runs until that fifth inning. Okay. So, okay, yeah, he collapsed. He gave up nine hits, though. Nine hits. I mean, look. Okay, well, clearly a couple of those were in the inning where he gave up two extra runs in the fifth. Would any of us done any better? (laughs) So. Correct. Yeah. There's actually an argument to be made. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm joking. But anyway, Jesse, the question is. Yeah, right. I just wanted to clarify. But yeah, we're all about Um, facts here on the warehouse podcast. Look. yeah, for sure. I have no idea um, <laughs> whether that was Harvey's last start uh, for the Orioles. I think there is an outside chance that he does get brought back next year for the Orioles. Yeah. I, that would not surprise me at all. 
it seems like it would be a Mike Elias move. Um, <laughs> and hit the market for Matt Harvey cannot be, you know, off the hook this summer uh, or, or this winter. So, um, so I, I think that there's a very good chance that he's the perfect kind of guy. He showed some glimmers where he could be a consistent starting pitcher uh, for the Orioles. He's going to uh, demand a very cheap contract for the Orioles. I could definitely. <laughs> He's going to demand a very cheap contract. It's yeah, like a... <laughs> right. Yeah, kind of an oxymoron. Yeah, I have uh, to get a cheap contract. Yeah, right. No, he's going to require uh, not a lot of money for the Orioles yeah. uh, organization. So he seems like the perfect fit to return uh, next year. So I could see that. I, I think that's possible. I, his um his FIP this year is only four point six zero. So like it's almost it's a run and a half lower than what his ERA is. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's possible. Eli, you were shaking your head. No, pretty ferociously there when Jesse was saying that. So you have an opposite opinion. I think it's accentuated by the big headphones. Just as I move, they wiggle a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I can't say it's his last start in an Orioles uniform, but what I can say is that whether it's his last start in an Orioles uniform and whether or not he comes back this year from injury have the same answer. Like, I don't think he comes back next year. Um, I think that, you know, the Orioles are going to make like the just barely slightly upside plays and, you know, some starting pitchers, like, I think that Matt Harvey, if he comes back next year, there's a 0% chance his ERA is below a 5.5. And mm-hmm. that's not to say he wouldn't be cheap. That's not to say he wouldn't be usable for the Orioles, but that is to say that he's not going to be a, like a deadline, you know, like a potential trade ship at the deadline. Right. Um, and because of that, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the Orioles aren't going to make upside plays, but they're going to make plays to get somebody who could potentially be valuable and could be backfilled by some of our younger, like quadruple A guys. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't see Harvey returning, you know, yes, he had the nice like 20 plus scoreless inning streak. He started off, coming out of the all-star break really hot. It sounds like this knee has been bothering him for a while. So that might be indicative of some better things to come, but the Orioles have absolutely no reason to bank on that. The Orioles have just no real reason to sign him. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I could see him being like a free or a, um, a spring training invite kind of guy. I mean, yeah, he's not going to get, which is what he was, this year, I think it was spring training invite. And if you make the team, you get a million dollars or something like that. Um, I could see it being something like that again, but yeah, I mean, you're right. There's probably going to be a few veteran guys that are sort of reclamation projects out there this winter. And maybe the Orioles say like, all right, well, we couldn't really make it happen with Harvey, but he gave us like 130 good innings, which was beneficial. Let's go find another guy that maybe will sign for 500 K or something. And we can try it again because yeah, I mean, there's going to be enough innings going around that I, I don't know that you could hope that Alex Wells and Dean Kramer and Mike Ballman and Keegan Aiken, who's looked better recently can like take those innings that Matt Harvey had this year. But I don't know. I think it's totally realistic that he would sign a minor league free agent deal. And, you know, we didn't necessarily think he was going to make the team this spring either. And he, and he did. Um, As the number two starter. As the number two starter (laughs) and has been the only member of the rotation that's been in the rotation all year i mean means had the lengthy il stint zerman's been on the il for forever like 
Harvey is literally the only constant. I think he missed a couple starts there, but in general, he's been there. And I don't know, is that worth another million dollars? I don't know. I'll say, I'll say, sure. I'll say, sure. They sign him again for another cheap contract and he pitches, but maybe gets cut sometime during the year next year. So I'll say, no, it's not his last start as an Oriole. Is Matt Harvey about to become the next Wade LeBlanc? Is that what you're arguing? I would rather have Matt Harvey, I think, than Wade LeBlanc. Although hasn't Wade LeBlanc been kind of good for the Cardinals this year? Oh, absolutely. He has. I I think what also we have to kind of keep in mind is that, yeah, obviously Matt Harvey did not have a very good uh, year this year in comparison to other starting pitchers uh, in the major leagues. But relative to where he's been, given his injuries, this was actually a big step forward for Matt Harvey yeah. in his career. Yeah. And I'm not convinced the Orioles don't wouldn't think that he couldn't take another step forward next year and maybe be a trade chip uh, halfway through the year. So I, I think uh, I think we're being, you know, obviously. The numbers were not great. And, uh, you know, nobody nobody disputes that Matt Harvey uh, doesn't dispute that, but relative to where he's been the past few years, I think he should be proud of this season. And um, I, yeah, maybe he, maybe it's one he can build on um, trying to kind of reinvent, reinvent himself as a, um, as a veteran pitcher in major league baseball. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I wouldn't mind having him back. I, you know, it, if we were gonna, if we were like an 80 win team this year and trying to be a playoff team next year, I wouldn't be happy about it, but what are the Orioles trying to be next year? A 70 win team? Like I'd be fine yeah. with Matt Harvey being on that team. I mean, what do we have to lose by having them? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. But one thing I will say is that I think, you know, this year, like the Dean Kramers, the Keegan Akins, Alexander Wells, all those guys not coming up and not being in the rotation pretty much every turn through that was like, okay, because they were still pretty young. Uh-huh. I think next year is the year that, we really find out. I, I mean, I think we can't protect these guys in the minors anymore. And I think you need to have starts available for all of those guys. A- mm-hmm. And I think the only way that happens, you know, I like, I think we need to sign one or two veterans for sure to stabilize the rotation. But I think the only way that happens is if you have two of those guys making a start through every turn in the rotation. Yeah. I mean, I think you would, th- that's fair. That's fair. Like to me, if Dean Kramer is in AAA next year, it, he's not worth keeping around. We should cut him. Yeah. And, you, you know, at that point, like at, this is like the year that the development should be pushing them over the top and into the big leagues. And like, that's not to say people can't keep developing in the big leagues, but that is to say like they need to be crossing this threshold about at this time, if they're going to become this person. Right. Cause then you kind of get into like what, you know, Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson, David Hess kind right. of territory where they're like, exactly. yeah, they just bounce back and forth and make spot starts. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, if they can't hack it in the rotation, I think that a lot of them are guys that you would try in the bullpen. You would try Keegan Aiken in the bullpen, a Dean Kramer in the bullpen, maybe not an Alex Wells. Like he doesn't really have that skill set. but like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I would love to see Ballman in the rotation every fifth day. I also don't think it's totally ridiculous to see the Orioles maybe with like a six man rotation and you try to give the guys right. like an extra day of rest or whatever. I know that's not, that's easier said than, than done, but. Um, uh, particularly with someone like Bauman though, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Just yeah. because of the injury history. Yeah. 
But yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think that, yeah, they need to sign a guy to, to stabilize the rotation. And I don't think, but I still don't think it's unrealistic that Harvey could maybe be one of those guys that's at least there in spring training. And if injuries happen, he could sneak into the regular season rotation too. That's fair. Yeah. He might accept a triple A assignment too. I mean, mm-hmm. with where he's at. Maybe if he's getting paid a good amount, maybe. Right. Um, all right, sticking on the Harvey train, we're going to talk Hunter Harvey real quick. Um, he has now been transitioned to the 60 day IL. He's been on the IL, I think, since June, the end of June. That sounds right to me. Yeah. Um, he's had some shoulder stuff, I believe, and has been on a minor league rehab stint for close to a month now, and it's not going particularly well. So he's on the 60 day. And Eli has asked us in this outline to put on our front office hat. I don't, I've never seen Michael Elias wear a hat, but maybe. Oh, wait, he, he wears a baseball cap sometimes. He does. Um, is Harvey going to be Matt Harvey? Or I'm sorry, not Matt Harvey, Hunter Harvey going to be a factor in your future plans for the Orioles? Eli, since you posed this question, maybe I'll go to you uh, first here. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think the answer is no for me. Like, wow. yeah, it, it, it's a harsh reality, but I think we have folks coming through the system that are going to need 40 man spots. And if you can't count on him for even 30 innings in a year, then what's he doing taking up that spot? Mm-hmm. I like, you know, the guy clearly has good stuff. He clearly has a big fastball, the curveball plays, but we, how long can you hold out hope? You know, this guy was like our, what was he, the 2013 first round pick? Yep. Yeah, exactly. so, I mean, he's been around and this has been the problem the entire time. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I put this up because I'm losing faith. And <laughs> I, I think that, you know, obviously keep him on the 40 man this year uh, yeah. through the winter because I don't think there are too many people knocking on that door. But as soon as, you know, as next year breaks, like you should evaluate him and, potentially try to pass him through waivers or something if he's not healthy. Yeah. I mean, I think this starts to feel a lot like the Chris Davis conversation a little bit, just obviously with different stakes because it's not a salary. It's more of just like the talent you're carrying around. Um, And, you know, we talked for years about like, is this year that they give up on Chris Davis and it, it really didn't happen until they absolutely kind of had to because injuries and obviously Harvey's had some injuries too, but I think with what the conversation becomes like, is he blocking somebody more talented than him or somebody that makes the Orioles a a better team in terms of getting them closer to the playoff picture. And I feel like that's not going to happen next year at any time. I I don't see Hunter Harvey blocking anybody that makes the Orioles from a pretender to a contender anytime in 2022. Maybe that happens in 2023, although I still have some doubts there, but I think that I would, I would certainly have him on the team all of next year too. And then maybe in the off season of 2023, things get um, a little tougher. Um, yeah. Jesse, where, where's your head at? Um, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is the Orioles, I think are going to try to keep them kind of like you're saying, because he is very talented and they just imagine if we can just get him healthy, he could be a very productive. I, I mean, at this point he could be a very productive major league pitcher for us if he's healthy. Right. I mean, I think he's basically proven that Um, it's just a question of whether he can be healthy or not. Um, So, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think the Orioles 
kind of try to make every attempt to keep him around and get him straight. Uh, at the end of the day, he is very talented, but you know, there does eventually come a time where, you know, you have to part ways, but I, I, I don't think we're close to that quite yet. Kind of like you're saying, Tyler, I think, um, the, the bullpen is, is flexible enough where it, you know, if he was a, a starting first baseman, I think it'd be a lot more difficult or if, you know, but th- given the fact that he's in the bullpen, I, I think it's a, it's an easier job to kind of keep him around. Yeah. Now, Eli, it looks like you wanted to jump in before I pass it to Jesse. Did you have another point you wanted to make? Uh, it's okay. Yeah. Honestly, it's gone. <laughs> the, the one thing I would I'm say about it though the one thing I'd say though is I, I think at this point the Orioles can't start they have to kind of like move on in the sense of like where their head is at like anything Matt Harvey provides us is going to be a bonus is going to be extra right. but we cannot rely on him to be there in the future yeah he can't be the closer of of, of the future anymore I right totally he agree. can't be penciled in for that right yeah I, I guess that's more what I was trying to get at is that like if I didn't make it clear, I was saying the exact same thing as Tyler, that like oh, okay. 2023 is the year that he should like, he, that he will become dead weight to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like this year, it costs us absolutely nothing to keep him around through the duration of 22, but there will be a point like, and, and you know, because there is the potential upside, like you bank on nothing. You assume you're getting nothing for him. He takes up a 40 man spot, but we have that spot available. And like Jesse said, whatever you get from him is gravy next year. Yep. Um, somebody that has actually outplayed expectations is Ramon Urias. He has, I mean, I don't even know all of his numbers, but he's been pretty good this year. He's got an OPS of 773. He's played a decent uh, shortstop and second base. He's had some injury concerns this past week. Uh, I guess we just wanted to, to mention on here is sort of like the news that's happened these last couple of weeks, but um, I don't know. Do you guys want to say anything good about Ramon Urias while we're talking? Cause he's one of like <laughs> my bright spots of, uh, of the entire summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I, I threw him on here just to point out, I, I think it was, or sorry, earlier in August, he had been placed on the IL with like this upper leg. I think it's his quad um with some tightness for that and this is apparently the same nagging injury he's just Mm. come back um but yeah I mean this dude's been a performer ever since he got the opportunity and this was somebody that I was looking at and was not excited about in the least every time there was a decision as who as to who should come up and be the utility guy I was thinking Pat Valeka even through all the time that Pat Valeka was really really hurt or really hurt really bad really bad um and so like Arias has come out of nowhere and I think he's been brilliant and I think he's like quite frankly earned himself not necessarily earned the starting job for next year but earned himself the position of the front runner for it at second base no shortstop shortstop okay wow all right okay because I mean yeah that that is I was thinking of him for second base but I I can see where you're coming because I would almost prefer like they go get another guy like a Freddie Galvis or an Iglesias for shortstop, but I wouldn't hate that. Yeah. It, yeah. If he's playing second base, I'm totally happy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And I know they want to get Mateo in there too, but um, right. And what, where does that leave Jemai Jones? 
I mean, that's the question. I mean, he's not hitting right now, but if Urias right. is at second, then Jemai Jones isn't getting consistent playing time there. Right. I mean, I, I want to see Jemai Jones play some baseball, but, you know, Urias is, I think, as much of a prospect, has been as much of a prospect as Jemai Jones. Like, Jemai, like, we can't get it twisted that Jemai Jones was some, like, can't miss top 100 kind of guy. Like, he was a guy that was playing second base in the minors and was better than what the Orioles had at second base when it was Rio Ruiz and Pat Vileka. Um, But now that, you know, we've got other options. Yeah. I want to see Jemai Jones play, but I'm not like going to do anything it takes to make Jemai Jones like the everyday starter at second base. You know what I mean? Um, Jesse, anything else on Urias you want to touch on? I, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, it, it's been really exciting to see. I mean, he's a dynamic uh, player um, and even defensively it's short he definitely holds his own over there so I think that's really encouraging too because he can be kind of even if he doesn't start he could be a utility infielder I mean I think he should like Eli said be the front runner to start somewhere on the infield either short or second um, so yeah I mean the question mark is you know do you want Mateo at short and you put Urias at second right um that's kind and, and of the, third third base is kind of a black hole like i have no idea right. who's going to start at third base next year right exactly and when i was when i was saying that the, the way that i had envisioned it was a like jemai jones at third mateo mm. at second and urias at short like okay. of the in-house candidates that's how that, i was seeing it right that's kind of an interesting configuration i mean you could swap some of them swap some of them around and it would still make sense um, that's kind of what's nice about our middle infield right now is that they are flexible. Mateo plays everywhere. Urias can play uh, second, short, and third, right? And um, Jemai Jones, of course, is flexible too. So, um, no, I mean, I think that's a really great thing about the infield. Yeah, I would uh, – those three guys, uh, I would like to see at least all three of them get a substantial amount of playing time next year um throughout the course of the season so yeah yeah um so, somebody else Tyler, been... real quick oh yeah Tyler, real quick i also want to throw out jamai jones was a former top 100 prospect oh was he okay well he hasn't yeah. been for a couple of years though I don't yeah it, it's been a couple of years but he I, I don't know it's kind of on in the same ballpark as mateo like he mm-hmm. had that kind of elite level prospect status and then yeah has had a had, had a rough couple of years and I know like Keith Law, I think really liked Jemai Jones. So, and you know, Keith Law mixed bag as with any prospect analyst, but he also really liked Jonathan Scope back in the day when other people weren't as high on Jonathan Scope. So like Keith Law does have his, uh, the times he hits and he hits big. So um, that is worth something. Um, somebody else has been really good has been Tyler Wells. Love the first name and love the stuff on the mound. Uh, he's kind of the Orioles closer right now. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, is that the role he's going to have going forward? He, he seems like he's got, like, the mental fortitude for it. He always seems super pumped up at the end of the games. Um, Eli, is Tyler Wells kind of the Orioles' closer for at least 2022? Yeah. It, this is a super interesting question because the dude throws five pitches. Mm-hmm. He's not the prototypical closer, but he's also six foot eight and can touch 98 miles an hour. So, you, you know, he's, like, clearly got – as you said, the closer mentality, the closer stuff. And I don't know, it, it, it's a super interesting question as to whether the Orioles start playing around with that. Um, to me, I say you stretch them out over the winter 
you know, mm-hmm. he it, like in the minors, he was a starter. Mm-hmm. I, I actually said that earlier on this podcast. I just realized. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, he was a minor league starter and he clearly, you know, kind of has the repertoire to make all that happen. You know, if that 98 tones back down to 94, that doesn't hurt anything. You know, he's got a good fastball. It's got like some above average rise on it. Um, he, yeah, I, I think the dude's a sub. So I say you stretch him out over the course of this winter. You bring him into spring training, see how he likes it. I think he should get a start or two at the beginning of next year and see what's going on. If nothing works out, throw him right back in the ninth inning and I'll be totally happy. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I hadn't even thought about putting him as a starter, although people were talking about that um, back in the spring. Uh, Jess, what's your take on the future of Tyler Wells? I, I mean, I, I'm right there with Eli. I think he's either a starter or a back end of the bullpen guy. Um, he's either an eighth or ninth inning guy if he sticks in the bullpen, and he's or he's a starting pitcher, which is kind of a funny <laughs> a funny dynamic. He's either one of yeah. those two things, right? Um, but no, I mean. I, he, he, he definitely doesn't seem, he's not a, a stereotypical middle reliever and it just doesn't make with his stuff. It doesn't make sense to utilize him in that way. Um, and I think you're not getting the value that you could be getting out of him. If you use him as a long man, which he might be capable of, but I, I just think there are other long, long men that you can use instead and, and kind of maximize Wells' value. So that's why I see him either as a starter or back of the uh, an eighth or an uh, eighth or ninth inning guy. I don't think he's going to be the definitive closer uh, to start the year next year. I think probably we're going to end up having a closer by committee thing. We have a few eligible closers, um, Tanner Scott, Dylan Tate, um, that are all vying for it. So I don't think he's going to be named the outright closer um, and just hold that position throughout the entire year next year. Um, but he definitely seems like a guy that is potentially capable of it. And, um, it's, it's going to take a little more, um, than what he's shown us this year. Um, but it seems like he really has made improvements throughout the course of the year. And it looks like he's going to be an effective bullpen piece. Yeah, no, I think the starter idea yeah, I think started. the starter idea yeah. is a good one. That's how you probably, I mean, to get the most value out of a guy. If he's like a four and a half ERA guy who's like the number four in the rotation, he's probably already going to be worth more than what an Orioles closer would be next year because they're just not going to get that many opportunities to get saves. You're not going to get like 50 saves next year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting idea. I wouldn't mind seeing that be toyed around with in the spring and, yeah, give him a starter too. I kind of like that. Yeah, and if you have him – be a starter at the beginning of the year, you can always move them to the bullpen. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. You can't put them in the bullpen and then make them be a starter. That's yeah. a lot tougher. Right. Yeah. Also the Orioles need to get more diverse last names. We've talked about Tyler Wells, Alex Wells, Hunter Harvey, and Matt Harvey. It's too confusing. It is. They got to change their names. Right. Anyway. Um, stop being selfish. You guys change your names, <laughs> please. Um. All right. One of the, another thing we want to talk about is Trey Mancini and the Kyle Farnsworth just debacle that happened online. Um, so Trey Mancini, you know, he had cancer last year, guys. I don't know if anybody had heard about that, <laughs> but he had cancer, missed all of the 2020 season, has played in most of the Orioles games this year. Um, despite, you know, not having his best offensive season clearly has had some struggles, 
But Kyle Farnsworth, a former bullpen pitcher, uh, I'm sorry. So Trey Mancini missed a game, sat out a game, and Brendan Hyde said the reason was just that he had general soreness. And Kyle Farnsworth then tweeted, so I just saw that an MLB player didn't play today because of general soreness. Are you kidding me? It's September. Everyone is sore. If you can't play through soreness, you shouldn't be playing the sport. SMH. Kyle Farnsworth is shaking his head. Um, Jesse, you sounded like you wanted to jump right in just then. Yeah. I mean, I the thing, it, the thing I, I just want to say about this is like, first of all, whenever these managers talk about what is wrong with their players or why they're injured or why they're sitting out, they're always generally somewhat vague about what is really going on. They're not going to give the entire medical diagnosis right in front on camera in front of everybody. Right. So and, the and, fact and Brandon, that Brandon Hyde like doesn't care about the medical diagnosis. He's like, I sore. He's got the day off. He's right. relaxing. It's fine. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. So the fact that he just kind of jumps on that, especially about somebody and it was about uh it was about mancini <laughs> just so everybody knows um he said it but, wasn't though he clarified yeah, the he next day. And tweeted like a full like 27 hours after yeah um but the thing is like for him to be judgmental of mancini and to be like oh no actually you should have been playing at that time. Yeah, if if he had a hangnail, I'm sure Trey Mancini would have been playing that day. If he had a li- like 1% soreness, I'm sure he would have been playing that day. That is fine. Kyle Farnsworth does not know what condition Trey Mancini is in. And to judge him, you know, and the Orioles uh, indirectly for allowing him to sit out um, is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I don't even know what the mentality is that kind of like makes you think that. Um, but obviously, um, all of these guys, you know, need to take a day off here and there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, your body generally should not play baseball 162 games a year i mean you have to be in incredible shape and so if he did have some general soreness even if it wasn't that bad that's okay to have a day off it's fine it's not the end of the world we're not we're not in a playoff push here this is a game for the world series if it was game for the world (laughs) series okay maybe it's a little different it's a team that has under a 33% win percentage this year <laughs> yeah. and it's September. <laughs> yeah. I, I that's think what that's, I was going to say too. Yeah. Come yeah. Ahead, Eli. I, yeah. I, I mean like Trey Mancini comes back from literal cancer. He plays 120 games for just the most God awful team in the major leagues. Although actually now the second most God awful, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, he's like, he's a clubhouse leader. He is, you know, he, he's the face of the Orioles. You know, he puts himself out there. He's available to fans. He's available to media. He's available, like, as a player, as a person. And he's good at all of it. Like, just why is this the guy you're coming after? Right. I, I just, like, for the life of me, I can't possibly understand it. And when and I... you see people, like, even, like, Marcus Stroman jumping in, 
you know, saying this is a poo-poo take with, you know, from a guy with a poo-poo career. <laughs> it's just like the baseball world, you know, knows better. And I partially wrote this on here just to say, I loved to see people rallying around it. Orioles Twitter was popping off, you know, the, the rest of baseball was popping off. It was great. Well, and it should be added that, and people mentioned this online multiple times, which is really helpful. Kyle Farnsworth is an idiot. Um, in 2004, he was put on the disabled list <laughs> right. because he kicked a fan, not, not, a, not a person, but an electric fan. And this was in late August. And then he was expected to miss at least three weeks, according to this USA Today story at the time. So it's late August into September, Kyle. And you're on the Cubs, who I think in 2004 were pretty good. Let me check to make sure that I'm telling that correct. They finished 89 and 73. But you weren't available for your team down the stretch because you kicked an electrical fan because you're a little baby. So I I have no sympathy for Kyle Farnsworth. He deserved all of the hate online that he got. He's a moron. And I'd be happy to never talk about him again, personally. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, it's it's just so frustrating because, I mean, these guys get days off all the time. I mean, sometimes nothing is wrong with a player and they get a day off because they need a day off. Um, if Kyle Farnsworth pitched two innings the one day, I guarantee he was unavailable many, many days uh, for the team uh, the next day. So this is like a routine, basic thing um, that is done to try to keep everybody healthy. So, well, right. Yeah. And beyond that, Mancini sat out multiple games after the fact because it's a right oblique issue and there is actually something wrong. It's like, like you said, Jess, I mean, he cued in on this phrase, general soreness, and it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Just wanted, wanted to rant. We have a public forum. We did it. It felt good. <laughs> um, one other kind of quick note of on-field stuff. Cedric Mullins is still amazing. Uh, he's now hit 27 home runs and stolen 26 bases, and he has a chance to be the first Oriole ever to put together a 30-30 season, which is pretty insane that these Orioles who are terrible have legitimately one of the five best outfielders in all of baseball. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to say there. It's just like, just, I think it can't be overstated what an incredible season Cedric Mullins has had. Like it gets forgotten about because I think we've talked about it a lot, made the all-star team started the all-star game. That's all gravy, but like the season has been incredible. The, the thing I really want to just acknowledge about this too is just the mental fortitude that is required for you to just ignore all the rest of the chaos that is happening on the field (laughs) with the pitching staff and for you to just take your at bat every single time, every single day, every single game to not get out of your preparation, to not, uh, to not fall into any sort of laziness or to not fall into any sort of, uh, well, we're terrible and I'm just going to kind of take my foot off the gas. The fact that he remains so focused throughout the entire course of the season and has put up relatively the same numbers, has maintained an OPS over 900 uh, the entire season is just absolutely incredible for this baseball team. Um, and, And it really does matter because it would be a very different situation if he had Giancarlo Stanton hitting behind him, right, in the order, or if he was on a competitive team that was trying to make a playoff push and you 
you operate off the adrenaline off winning, you know, and you try and that that's what keeps you focused every day. Right. But this is a team that, you know, has so few wins has been losing consistently and he's been unbelievably consistent throughout the entire course of the season. And he's going to finish strong and he's going to put a great season together in the midst of this miserable Orioles team. Yeah. I mean, he's got an outside chance at the batting average title in the AL an outside chance at the hits total leader in the AL. Like, I mean, uh, in a league without Shohei and without Vlad Guerrero Jr., he'd be in the MVP conversation. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how the voting works exactly, but if they get to vote for like 10 guys, I mean, I could see Mullins getting like a 10th place vote or a ninth place vote. Like that's not unrealistic. So it's just incredible. Just incredible. Eli, any, any thoughts on Cedric Mullins? Yeah. The guy's amazing. We love him. Um, I, I did. I was looking at this earlier. There was somebody with the St. Louis Browns, not the Baltimore Orioles technically, but same mm, franchise right. in like 1922 who had a 30-30 season. But since they yeah, became but... the Baltimore Orioles, he would be it's the first. It's been a while. I, I just, yeah, I just wanted to like give the disclaimer in case somebody wanted to show off online and came right. and let us know. Um, yeah, I think they used to play in like cow pastures and like black guys couldn't play on the team back then. Right. So I feel like those don't really count, but I, I appreciate you for uh, correcting us. Yeah, I figured it was worth it. Um, but in all seriousness, like Jesse a couple weeks ago before we recorded was like he had proposed the topic that Cedric Mullins was in a slump. And we wow, went, we looked at the number, and th- this isn't like to call out <laughs> Jesse, but we went and looked at the numbers, and he's hitting like 220 over the last two weeks, you know, like something like that. And you know, if you just look at that, the the biggest thing, like, you know, we were all in shock, like, oh gosh, that's not that great. You know, we all came to the conclusion that this wasn't a worthwhile topic, but the only hole that we could poke in a dude's performance over the entire year has been one stretch of like two weeks where he hit 220, 240, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the dude, as Jesse was saying, has been so unbelievably consistent. He's been, you know, he's been performing on defense. He's been a power hitter. He's been a contact hitter. He's been drawing walks. He's been stealing bases. It, he's just been this complete player and, the one thing that Jesse mentioned is for somebody on a playoff team in a playoff race, the other thing you can feed off of is your teammates, right? You, you know, not only like, is it the protection from a Giancarlo Stanton in the order? It's just like, everybody else is energized. So you are too. And like what Mullins is dealing with is a team full of people in a 19 game losing streak, you know, 17 games deep, two and a half weeks of losing and he's still able to put himself together, go out there and perform at this incredibly elite level. It's it's something that does not get enough credit, as much credit as has already been given to him. When he had the 20 game hitting streak, I think he went nine games or so, or at least a bunch of games into the losing streak. If I'm remembering correctly, he went a bunch of the games into the losing streak with his hitting streak. Right. So that just kind of shows that, you know, even though they were in the midst of a, a, a 10 game losing streak, he still went out there every day and still got a hit, you know, um, which kind of demonstrates what I think we're saying about him. 
And that kind of mental fortitude is, is not to be taken lightly at all. Um, Cause he seems totally unaffected by, by the losing and, and the poor play. Yeah, absolutely. Heck of a season that hopefully doesn't get forgotten in all of the uh, terribleness surrounding him on the team. Right. Um, <laughs> a couple other fun notes uh, from Tuesday's game. Melanie Newman was, you know, we talked about this in the show, I guess probably two months ago, I think, was it? She was part of the first all-female broadcast, and it was it was on YouTube TV or on YouTube against the Rays a couple months ago. She did the color commentary that day, or the play-by-play, rather. I'm sorry. There was a little girl fan at Camden Yards who had held up a, a, a sign about meeting Melanie or asking her if she needed help in the booth, and Melanie ended up getting connected to the fan. They took a picture, and it was it was really cool and just kind of another reminder of, like, how important, how important inclusivity is in these things where, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And now that Melanie Newman and other women have been in the broadcast booth more consistently, you know, the Orioles have a PA announcer who is a woman, you know, that opens up doors for, for little girls um, all over the world that they can kind of dream a little bit bigger than maybe they previously thought they could. So that's huge. And um, just kind of a cool little moment that, you know, the Orioles and Orioles Twitter kind of made happen. So that was really cool. Um, and then another one, Kevin Brown, uh, I think the same day or maybe the day after that, Michael K. Williams, who played Omar in The Wire, an iconic character on an Austin Hayes home run. Kevin Brown made a cool home run call where he just said, you come for the king, you best not miss, which is a famous line of Omar Littles from the, from the show. Um, so that was kind of cool as well. Um, yeah, guys, I definitely thought those were worth shouting out. They're both super cool moments and it was in the middle of the seven to three win. Um, so it was just like a good vibe that that whole night was one of the best nights of Orioles baseball in a long time. Yeah. I mean, just in general, like the, the feeling around the team these last couple of weeks has been so much more positive than August. August just felt like such a, uh, drudge and not enjoyable at all to watch baseball and September has been much better so far. Agreed. Um, all right. One more thing before we leave, we're going to do the Oriole of the week. Last week's Oriole was Ubaldo Jimenez. He did go to the same college as Eli. I think that's a fun fact. Although he went to college, I think after you, so you after weren't, me. you yep. were not uh, peers, but still pretty neat. And um, so what we do here is we give you three facts about a current or former Oriole and then if you would like to get involved, you can you can just guess sitting there in your car or at work or wherever you listen to the podcast, or you can email us, thewarehousepod at gmail.com, and we'll shout you out on the podcast. Or you can uh, DM us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, or I think you can even leave us a note on Facebook, although we're not as active over there, although Jesse is going to try and change that. Uh, just give us who you think this Oriole is, and we'll give you a shout out on the pod. So the first fact about this week's uh, Oriole of the week is that they won the AL Cy Young award in 1980 with the Orioles. The second fact is that they were a color commentator for the Cubs and White Sox for 20 plus years. And last, they're a published author of the book, Where's Harry? A memoir about Harry Carey. Hmm. And uh, Jesse picked out this week's player and he was a little bit surprised by some of these facts, which is always a fun thing to discover. For sure. I propose we did Ivan on coffee, but nobody else on the podcast wanted to do that because he only played in like 20 games. So I got Well, that could have been a future one, Tyler. Well, maybe we'll bring that up, but we won't mention yeah. the 20 game part. Right. 
anyway. Yeah. If we do a player a week and we run this podcast for like 30 years, we're eventually going to run out of players. So Evan on coffee will have to. It's true. Yeah. A future 20, a 2021 Oriole will eventually be on this list. Oh, wow. Imagine that. Um, all right, boys. Well, that's about all we've got. As I just kind of mentioned, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the warehouse pod. You can email us the warehouse pod at gmail.com. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, what we would really like for you to do is subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast app, whether that be Spotify, where you can hit the follow button or over on Apple podcasts or, you know, wherever you get your podcast, that'd be huge. And if you're able to give us a rating and a review on those uh, podcast apps, and that helps us out a ton um, and helps us reach other Orioles fans, which is kind of what this is all about, building a little community. So yeah, that would be awesome if you could do that. Uh, Eli, where can people follow you on uh, social? I'm on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. Nice. And Jesse, how about you? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at juggernaut8678, J-U-G-G-E-R-N-A-U-T-8678. I will say, though, you shouldn't really be interested in my personal. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. a nice guy. I'm fun. But if you want to hear me talk about baseball, I do it almost exclusively from the Warehouse Pod account. And we definitely, like, Tyler mentioned building a community. Even if you don't follow us, get online and join Orioles Twitter. It's a heck of a lot of fun. There's a good community of like pretty hilarious content creators that watch every game, throw tweets around, crack jokes, laugh at our own misery, cry together, all the above. Definitely yeah. worth your time. You got you to gotta get on the ground floor because this Orioles train is leaving the station here in a, in a year or two. And then, you know, it's going to be too late. You're not going to, nobody's going to care about you. You got to get involved right. now there are running lists of people like of this person is not invited to the parade. This person's <laughs> not invited to the parade. Um, so yeah, you get in, you establish your name on the ground floor uh, with the true fans who are suffering through the deepest, darkest depths of this rebuild. And we will all rise together. Absolutely. Um, all right. Next week we will talk about, probably a little bit of this Royal series. Then the Orioles have a four game series, which includes a double header against the Blue Jays at Camden Yards. And then three against the Yankees to wrap up a lengthy homestand. And then I think we'll probably record sometime in there, although that has not been uh, determined just yet. So I don't think we mentioned specifically that we did win two out of three in the Bronx. Against that was the Yankees, huge. So was huge. we didn't really say that, but You're right. that was, that was really a big turning point for us. I think at least in the short term. It is. Yeah. And then the Yankees are currently like in shambles. So not that the <laughs> Orioles really had to, anything to do with that, but we contributed to it a little bit, I think. So we made it worse. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Aaron Boone was not happy uh, after losing two out of three to the Orioles. So especially it, since last time they were in the Bronx was the cat game and then the beginning of <laughs> the 19 game losing streak. So we yeah. exercised some demons there, some feline demons. Look, if we could play a uh, spoiler uh, to you know, our enemies, uh, that's, that's not a bad situation. <laughs> I think for the Orioles, uh, yeah, right. Shout out Robert Andino, uh, at, at this point in the season. Um, so then do you want to get swept by the blue Jays so that they can like overtake the Yankees? I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not commenting on, no, I, I, I don't, I don't honestly, the answer to. is yes. <laughs> really? Honestly. Hmm. Yeah. If the blue Jays, I mean, So Jesse and I, I think we've mentioned this before, our mother is from Seattle. So if the Mariners want to make a run at it, um, 
I, I would love that more than anything. So like we could theoretically beat the Blue Jays and I would still be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Blue Jays have a better chance at doing something exciting in the playoffs. So I choose That's fair. the Blue Jays, I think. I gotta or, just I gotta just say, I mean, I love Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, <laughs> me and everybody else in uh right. you know the country watching baseball right now. But I mean, it's amazing to watch him. I just I can't get over it. Yeah, he's he's lived up to all the hype. I mean, it's one big year, but it's a really big year. I mean, he's not gonna <laughs> win MVP, but right, like, he probably will in the future. So huge, huge stuff. Yeah. All right, boys. Well, good episode. We talked about a lot of stuff. I think we talked for forever, but uh, we had a lot to get through. So that was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, until next time, uh, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.